Hello and welcome to Off The Beat and Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. Today's episode, I sit down with Izzy of Black Honey and we have a delightful chat about wonderful records and all that kind of stuff that you've come to love from this podcast. Speaking of which, um, we've gone over 500 episodes and I just wanted to say a huge thank you for your ongoing support of this podcast. It's been... uh, it's been going a few years now. It was kind of got me through lockdown, and I hope it it kind of helped you, uh, you know, distract yourself from what was going on during lockdown as well. Um, I've had bursts of releasing two episodes a week for a few years, and and I guess I'm 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 just putting out the one episode a week uh, for free at the moment. But you can support the podcast uh, and get loads more content and watch the episodes as well um, over on Patreon. Uh, and that's uh, p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash off the beat and track. So what is this Patreon thing that he bangs on about every week? This is a bit you will skip past anyway. Um, but basically, it's a it's a, almost like a sort of crowdfunding thing where basically I ask you to pay a dollar a month, so whatever that is, 75p a month, and then for that, um, you get to watch all the episodes ad-free and uh, and you get upfront releases, you get access to a, an archive of probably another 500 episodes um, of radio shows and mixtapes. And what you also get is access to the weekly, the weekly, I wish, uh, the monthly live show. And that's so much fun. We do it over Zoom and, uh, and a, just a delightful bunch of humans join it every month and we have a lovely little chat we're uh, we're recording one it probably would have happened by the time this episode comes out but we're recording one um the next one we're talking about film scores and soundtracks and not in a yeah i'm really into morricone um i'm sure we're just going to be talking about really lovely nostalgic film soundtracks and scores that that have kind of hit home with us it's not a snotty sorry not snotty snooty elitist thing it's just a really nice hangout with some some wonderful people that all have very different tastes in music so it makes for a lovely hour spent um once a month and i'd love you to come and experience that and and join in and it's your opportunity to get your voice on off the beaten track um i think i've released a few of the episodes uh for free so go and have a look uh, in the archives and while you're over there why not subscribe um and why not get stuck into the archives of this podcast because you have missed loads i mean Blimey, who have I had on over the, the past? I'm I'm going to try my best not to mention the Foo Fighters and Motley Crue uh, and the Killers because they're the ones I do all the time because they're the ones that just pop up uh, at the front of me brain. Right, Charlie Higson of The Fast Show. Recently, the delightful Hugo White of the Maccabees and 86 TVs. Um, Guy Pratt, Guy Pratt of Pink Floyd. Go uh, go check that out. Um, I recently had Rob on. Uh, from Enna Shikari. I've had Napalm Death on recently. Uh, who else have I had on? Uh, oh, gosh, I've got a little list here. I'm just trying to um, flick through them. Um, King Creosote I had on lately. He was a fantastic guest. Um, and you know all about the archives, the Swades and the Kaiser Chiefs and all of that lot. Go to the kooks. They've, they've all been on. And uh, why not just go and explore that back catalogue? Right. I've been banging on for nearly four minutes now, and we've not even got on to uh, today's episode. Um, just lastly, um, 
you know, big love to you lot for for listening and, and for supporting the pod. Thanks so much. Um, also, a uh, big shout out to Tom for um, Tom Dark, wonderful man uh, who helped put this uh, arrange this podcast. Uh, this podcast is produced by the team at Blue Murder Club Pod. If you like your true crime, go and check out the Blue Murder Club podcast. Uh, and I'd like to thank Mr. Scroobius, Pippikins, uh, and everybody else over at the Distraction Pieces Network, home of some ace pods, and I feel proud to be part of it. Please enjoy today's episode of Off the Beaten Track Podcast with Black Honey. <laughs> It's off the beat and track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. It me, Stu Whipping. Hey, we are recording. Izzy, how are you today? Very well, thank you. Good, good, good. I mean, we've already had a little natter before we've pressed record. We've established that I'm in my shed uh, with about 15 layers on, and uh, you've uh, you've not been able to go surfing today because there's been a bit of a sandstorm in uh, what looks to be a gloriously warm country. Yeah, it's a hard life. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Well, look, thanks ever so much for coming on today. Um, I always kick off the podcast with the same question. Uh, and Izzy, I'm going to ask you to tell me the song that you regard as having the greatest ever intro, please. So for this song, I have chosen... Just get it on my to-do list. So the greatest song for an intro for me was 20th Century Boy by T-Rex. Um, I heard a rumour once that the reason why this intro sounds so good is because the guitars in it are like not actually like in tune with each other. And someone tried to re-record it and put the guitars in tune and it just didn't sound as good. I just feel like it's like I can't explain the feeling that it gives me because I, I guess my music is so good is um because you can't vocalize what 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 it does that speaks to you but this song for me makes me feel like it feels like a surge of energy or like a surge of power that you're kind of like pulling from yourself yeah is how i guess i could describe it but that's the best i got (laughs) i think that's fantastic i mean that that kind of crunch of that guitar before it all kicks in is it's so, well, obviously, you know what it is right from the off. Um, and it's pretty sort of, as is much of Bolan's stuff, it's it's very instant that the, the, the intros are all pretty short yeah. um, and, to, and to the point and kind of really set the set the standard for what you're going to get for the rest of the song. Um, Izzy, I want to ask you about intros. And <clears throat> you're releasing music now at a time where there's far different factors in place to what Bolan had, which was probably trying to get on the radio and, uh, and maybe getting on top of the pops, you know, and, and I think as a top of the pops has long gone and, you know, and, and I guess alternative radio stations playing guitar music are few and far between these days as well. And so what we're seeing now is a lot of kind of emphasis on, you know, getting on the right Spotify playlists and such. And, and what you're also seeing, you know, is is the, the sort of power of things like TikTok. And I just wonder how many of them kind of trends in things like TikTok and trying to grab people instantly because attention spans seem to be dwindling and getting shorter and shorter. How much of that filters through into your creative process? 
probably more than I'd like to admit. Um, I definitely feel the sort of chokehold of like the get to the chorus before the first 30 seconds of a song. And like, that's, it's funny that I should pick this like Mark Bolan intro because he literally like is smashing, he, he would smash TikTok with this intro. Like this would be like, I don't know, like an outfit choice song that people would probably use to strut down the street with but um i definitely think like growing up in the times when like 90s had like massive intros that were just 30 seconds and now you have to get to a chorus in 30 seconds it is really weird to adjust to but then when you cut back to something like this from before then and you think oh this packs a punch every every um every step of the way and i think like I find that really inspiring that like it doesn't have to compromise the art form if you have an intro that packs a punch or like it can like I always get nervous with an intro is like god if I'd written that song as an intro I don't know how I'd have like followed it with the rest of the song like how do you literally beat that (laughs) you 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 talk about the sort of power of the the intro and uh, uh, you know in the 90s and did you hear the the t-rex version before you heard placebo's version because placebo had a huge hit with that in in, in the mid 90s i just wondered if that was something that was on your radar before bolan or did you get bolan first now you say it i'm like i do think i can f- hear his placebo voice singing that it's it's hard to tell the difference it's as as far as like covers go it's pretty much oh really like for like that's yeah. interesting i think that's they really recorded it for the Velvet Goldmine movie, um, that kind of, <gasps> sort of glam movie. No way! Love that film. Yeah, and I yeah, think Placebo are performing it in the film as well. So I don't know if I glitched out then or. It's okay. You're... you're all good. No way. Yeah, yeah. Well, look. I tell you what, I'm going to do is it. I'm going. Am ask... I coming through? It's frozen on my end. Oh, really? You're, you're sounding okay to me and I can see you. So uh, can you hear okay. me? Okay, cool. Wonderful. Yeah, you're coming back now. Okay, great. Izzy, I'm going to ask you for track two, which is the first song that you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you, please. So the first song that I remember hearing that had an emotional impact on me was Yesterday by The Beatles. Um, I was in year two. I'm going to say year, yeah, year two or maybe year three. And we had to actually do it in our music class. And like up until this day, we had had, I think it was recorder or Casio keyboard group lessons in that music class, which as you can imagine was just like hell. Um, but this this time our teacher, I think our teacher was like despairing, like despairing with the class and just like not getting anywhere. Um, and he brought in yesterday by the Beatles and like made us listen to it as a piece of music and and kind of contemplate its meaning or whatever yeah and I just remember feeling like really really sad and thinking oh my goodness the man's the man's voice you know I didn't even know it was like Macca do you know what I mean back then I was just like this man I really understand the feeling of something gone past yesterday that you can no longer that you can no longer touch or imagined that yesterday was the feeling of what you would have if someone died and you 
all you wanted was to see them again or a friend that you missed or the real sort of homesickness that you feel with love and loss and it it spoke to me in a way that I hadn't ever had music speak to me before so I suddenly felt like this kind of awakening to like through music you can feel things and you don't really understand it at the time but then going forward now in time I don't I can't remember another example of when something hit me so sort of strikingly and I never I don't think I ever had that feeling again where I was just like oh my god wow yeah I get it because of how he said something while we're we're sort of talking about those formative years and music tell me a little bit about where, where was home and where you grew up and 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 was home a musical place home was definitely not a musical place for me um but there was like glimpses of it um i think there was a there was a piano in our dining room and my dad claimed to have played trumpet although i think i saw him play trumpet like maybe twice in my life then there was a 12 string acoustic guitar in the house which i just felt really confused by it it never struck me as something that felt interesting i just didn't understand why it always sounded so horrible like at least with the piano you could kind of find your way around it whereas with this guitar i just felt like this just sounds horrible and it was obviously just really out of tune 12 strings yeah. obviously like with no chord played on it I was just like now I know why it sounded so bad but um I remember um always being really creative and really arty and I remember watching my dad's hands once when he played piano and learning a piece from watching him play um okay. I remember that and I remember saying in I think it was after we did a school nativity once someone saying that I had a good ear for music. And I said, what does a good ear mean? And he said, Oh, it, it means that you've got a good inner ear, like inside your ear can hear the music really well. You can hear the notes well. And I remember thinking like, Oh, I've got a good ear. That's cool. Like I never knew what it meant, but I was like, Oh, this is exciting. <laughs> Stick that on the CV. <laughs> um, and then I, I guess like I did the, the sort of usual route of like I played a bit of recorder in one year and then they asked us what instrument we wanted to play and I said I wouldn't I wanted to learn the harp because we went to a family barbecue once and this girl was playing the harp in the garden and I was like so mesmerized by this like magical instrument um and so when they said what do you want to play I said the harp and they said oh well we don't, we don't think we know anyone that teaches the harp around here so you can learn you can learn um, the flute if you want. How's the flute sound? And I was like, yeah, okay. The flute sounds cool. Like my friend Emma was learning flute as well. And it was just like the most miserable instrument ever. Like it was just like so boring. And like it was, took me ages and ages and ages to move up from the, you start on this one called like the fife, which is like a little kid's mm -hmm. one. And then you move up to the flute and you're like, oh great and then all of it was sight read no one played me a song once no one literally played me a record and was like this is what a flute should sound like like nothing was done by ear i was just all reading and i can't read i'm a dyslexic like i can't read anyway so like someone literally making me um read music for me was just so counterintuitive and i remember like there's one piece that i got on grade three which was like minuet in d and I could like sing you in. I was like, like I could I could sing you that now because I remember having played it so many times for an exam or something that I then learned the melody after I'd sight read it. 
so sort of in a backwards way learn the music how I learn music now but I'm so I'm so sort of like um I'm so sad in a way that I never learned it in a way that was fun because I would have so much better connected with it as a creative exercise if I was taught it in a way that felt exciting um so I guess that was it and then um having literally I can't even remember I can't even really remember records being played at home maybe sometimes like dad would have like classical music on in the car I was traumatized by my mum playing Enya to this day I can't listen to it it gives me like an eye twitch like <laughs> you and me like, both mum, mate mum is like music just happens to somebody else like mm. I like I can't even some one year I bought her loads of records of like what I thought she would like one year and she just like listened to those same five records for like 25 years like there's never been much of a thing but maybe when I was like older or something I I got into music on my own through the kids at school and and like got into like pop music or like pop punk and then like grunge and then like through school and listening and conversations there I sort of found these things and then got obsessed with like Kerrang magazine or like Enemy and then that's it and then going to going to Virgin and listening to all of the sample decks I can remember doing that and like remember like getting an iPod and like I remember downloading stuff for the first time and that's that that was really where my musical journey started because it was so just boring and like so un like nothing at home felt like inspired or anything and then I get jealous of my friends you know I've got really close friends who will grow up in these kind of like jazz households that all played in like a family band together yeah and um I get so envious of that because I think, God, I wish I'd had that. Like I, I'm, I'm so, I was so out on the sticks. But then someone said to me the other day that, well, imagine, like maybe if you had had that, you wouldn't have had this sort of like thirst and this hunger to discover music on your own terms and go on your own personal journey to kind of find this stuff. I mean, to this day, I'm not even sure Mum has a clue like what's going on. Like. Yeah. She, she comes to gigs and I'm like, this is this this is a good one to come to. She's like, I couldn't see you from the back row. I'm like, Mom, this poor Liam Gallagher, you're supposed to be excited. She'll be like, Oh, I couldn't see you from the back row. Couldn't see you. Fantastic. Fantastic. Um I mean we're talking now a little bit about them sort of you know, you, you said there where you started to maybe sort of you know, make friends at school and, and, and almost find your tribe through 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 music. So for uh, for the next track, tell me about the song that reminds you of your time at school, please. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. So I think, let me just check my notes. Um, yeah, for this one, I picked Blue Orchid by the White Stripes. Mm-hmm. Um so I remember seeing Meg White on MTV and the, in the sort of um, videos that the White Stripes did, probably before Blue Orchid came out. Mm-hmm. 
playing and I've just thought wow what she does is so amazing and like I want to do my version of that but like with women and I thought I invented like women in music I was like <laughs> then obviously after that I discovered like Blondie and Patti Smith and like all my greats by the time I was like I'm going to invent the idea of women in music <laughs> um and um I just like remember when Blue Orchid like came out and it was like peak White Stripes era and I just there was something so feral about Jack White that felt like when I saw him because he was like this Tim Burton creature this character I just felt like I saw it and I was like oh that's me like that's me and then um just like we would sing Blue Orchid me and my two friends I just had this memory of being on a beach holiday in Wales in like with and I my friends were there and I remember being on the beach where we would just like sing the riff of Blue Orchid at each other and be like and just be like running around things that and I think there's something like the sticks in your head that those artists always stick with you in a way don't they I mean, I still love Jack White. I'm still sort of in awe of him. I think he's one of our greats. And I don't think he's ever compromised. And now I look back, I'm like, wow, that's so, it's so cool that I got to have that as a kid. Like, that's such a sick thing that I got to have. Yeah. Tell me about school. Was that something that, that you enjoyed? Um, sorry, glitched out. What did you say? Tell me about school, Izzy. Was it something that you enjoyed? Oh, I actually hated school. Um, school was like this system that like other people had just like invented that we I was supposed to be enjoying and everyone would say to me oh your school years are the happiest years of your life and I just remember thinking fuck me if this if this is the happiest years of my life then I'd rather die like I'd literally rather die and like every day of my life now as an adult I walk past schools and I think holy shit I got out I escaped like I literally feel like it was like this kind of um where I need to be able to be in like now as as an adult I'm like it was a place where I, I couldn't cope with. I could just couldn't cope with that setting. Yeah. And I think like um it's it's hard to conceive the idea that people can just do school and not struggle with it like that's almost harder for me to get my head around that some people can literally just go to school and be like oh I did enjoyed it and I did well and I had no problems and I was I quite liked it and I'm like oh my god like every waking day of that was horrible for me and I'd find like pleasure in like specific classes like art or theatre or English when it was literature um, or when we got to do creative writing you know I'd find my pleasures in it and I like games a lot, um, but I, I really, I uh, just, I couldn't cope with it. To be honest with you, I had really bad behavior problems. You know, it was. Um, I, you probably can, you can pay me, you can pay me like money to relive it now. Yeah. Like I would, I'd still rather have not be there. Yeah. Did you know what you wanted to be when you was at school? Uh, I I knew it was something in music, and I tried learning bass once, and that didn't feel right. 
um, though I really enjoyed it, I couldn't. I found it really hard to write songs on basses, uh, but I didn't know I wanted to write songs for ages. But I know that something didn't feel right, and then later on, I felt like oh, as yeah. soon as I started to write songs, I realised, oh, this is what I should be doing. Um, and so I knew, I knew I had creative talent, and I really liked the idea of doing music, but I didn't know how to do it, and I didn't really feel like I had any sort of talent for it. Or the kids that did have talent for it were like really obviously good at it. Yeah. But so. It was kind of like a slow piecing together of like the idea of of wanting to do something that you weren't really sure if you could do or was possible, but give it a go, I guess. So with that in mind, like where was school and and, and did it feel in that area that it was a realistic, you know, opportunity and dream to to pursue, you know, to be a, Mm. a successful musician? Yeah, so I went to school in this place called Hurst, which was private school. And it was like, um, I don't think everyone from private school seems to go and do like business stuff. Although it turns out like loads of the music industry um, did go to private school now, which is like Mm. quite an interesting facet of the whole thing. Um, Had a scholarship there, but... um, had and everyone was exceptional at everything i guess but i don't know if there was like culture i don't really remember that but then when i was in sick form i went to like a school that was like a performing arts school and that one it was like everyone was super talented everyone was like record deal vibes and stuff and that was a really healthy environment in terms of like not expecting to just have a massive career because you like music it was a really like good lesson and like every there's a lot of kids out there that are a lot more talented than you so like you got to work really hard if you want to like find your place and find your way so and I really enjoyed the obviously I absolutely hated that school for the kids that went there the people that went there were absolutely horrific they were like even worse like having private school kids is one thing but having like really really um like creative private school kids who all have like celebrity parents was like horrible um but the actual like doing of the art and like going spending all day working on music art or um what other subjects did i do english um doing those things every day made me really way more rewarded than normal than doing normal subjects and normal lessons and and normal stuff like that so I feel like I had a huge opportunity I was put into like the conditions of people that all were like potentially going to go off and have huge careers and stuff in that in that school and I feel like really lucky for that education. And I think there's a lot of people that would have loved to have gone to a, an art school. And I think like that was one of the only places where I feel like I got the best out of myself or like I learned a lot. Was you confident? Um, no. And also they were so socially, um, they were so socially like advanced there because they were all just like, these kind of London girlies who are all like basically just like mean girl bullies. And I was like a complete outsider there. And I couldn't, to be honest, I couldn't keep up with the dialogue. I just wasn't like astute enough or fast enough 
or bitchy enough or social climbing enough to like fight off these kind of like sociopaths that were at this school. Um, did that drive like, you? Did that drive you though? In a way, yeah. I feel like I've. I feel like I sort of avenge a part of like my needs in a sense because I get to kind of like go and be. I get to go and do all the things that like that I know that they said that they thought all that they thought that they could do, and like I know I've done it. I know that sounds like really narcissistic, but there's something in it. Then I I felt like an outsider. Like I grew up in Crawley. Like yeah, I went to private school, but also. It was it was on, on on complicated conditions. I don't feel too confident going into too deeply, but you know, I grew up in a normal um, a normal estate, like Privet Drive in Crawley, like so middle class. My education was paid for by my dad. When I went to university, I went from being a private school educated kid to being on the highest benefit that you could be on for for university. So I was constantly just like never fitting in. I couldn't fit in with these really really rich kids at this private school because I wasn't living that life and then I couldn't really and then when I went into normal like when I went to work at TJ Fridays on the weekend I was like this girl that went to this like school that everyone else that was 17 that was working with me was like having babies and had heroin addicts for parents do you know what I mean it was a really weird um intersect of like two cultures and like now I look back on it I think weirdly it's it's really nice to have the, both of those perspectives because a I get the privilege of having the education and that is my privilege, but also I get to have that privilege without having the sort of like sheltered, uh, like middle class lens. Like also got to see like what real work was like, and you know, like my mom, she was um, she was a teacher at a disabled school. She was on like, you know, she was a single parent. Dad was kind of nowhere to be seen. So it it was, it was, it was really, it is a, I guess it's a rare, it's a rare perspective to have held. And now, now, you know, when I was saying like, there's so many private school kids in London, I find them fascinating because especially in the music industry, I'm, I wonder to them, I'm thinking, oh like did I know a version of you at school and were you were you the that mean kids or 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 were you the ones that were like locked in the cupboards like I was do you know what I mean like it depends on it depends on what um what experience they had but I find it on, honestly quite interesting sometimes some people I speak to and they they said that they loved it like I, I went to uni with a girl who um went to a school similar to mine and she said oh, don't you just miss being back there and being like r- ruling the school and I was like fucking hell no and also like I wasn't that person so like I don't know like what where that comes from do you know yeah. what I mean do you do you think having um like coming from either a middle class or upper class background has its advantages in the creative industries i think yeah because i think people i think creativity is a middle plus sport in reality it's like um you know Jimi hendrix was supported by his rich girlfriend's family like will um artists have like historically been propped up by 
these kind of privileges that have you have to depend on in a way to cre- to create your art and it's like you know even looking at me my career it's like hey I had an amazing education I know so many people in the industry probably more more so than a kid that's working class um and then having having the ability to stay and live at my mum's house yeah. like having a bedroom at my mum's house that I could take up for my 20s was absolutely like undeniably useful in terms of like being able to go to London and go and work in a studio and do all the shit that I needed to do, go on tour. Like you can't go on tour if you're going to miss work and you can't make rent. Like it's, it's such a impossibly hard thing to, to do. It's impossibly hard thing to do anyway. Like music is insanely underpaid. So Mm. it, it, um, it definitely needs that. Yeah, absolutely. Tell me about the first song you remember buying from a record store, please, Izzy. So I can't explicitly take credit for buying it because I definitely just drew a picture of it and asked <laughs> <laughs> asked my my mum um to go and buy it. But it was the actual it will it was actually Spice the Record by Spice Girls, but to specific a song from that because I don't know if I had singles and albums always. I'd just get the album if I could. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be Wannabe by the Spice Girls. Yeah, and I tried drawing a picture of the Spice Girls and gave it to my mum to go and get it from the shop. Did Did she get it from the drawing? She got it. She, she got it. I think she had to ask someone in the shop. I also did it with Shania Twain as well. I wanted Shania Twain and I drew a picture of her. <laughs> and my mum would constantly be going to the shop to buy me these records that I'd drawn. <laughs> Shania Twain don't look too dissimilar from Enya. You could have been in a bit of a situation there, but thankfully yeah. uh, went for Spice. Uh, uh, yeah, thank God. <clears throat> Tell me about, um, y- y- you know, y- y- you hear multiple, you know, musicians talk about, you know, growing up in the 90s and, and them sort of formative years and the impact that seeing five women take over the world had on them, like, what kind of impact did the Spice Girls have on you? For me, it was like, it just felt like I'd seen something in myself. Like, I was even too young to even, to even, I didn't even know how it took such a grip of me, but it was immediate. And it was like, I guess it was like a, a mirror thing of, you know, we would play, we would play at lunch, playtime, and everyone would pick which Spice Girl that they would be. And my, I would always be Baby Spice. Everyone wanted to be sporty. Baby was like second or third, maybe. Scary was after that. No one wanted to be Victoria because she was boring. Let's face it, she's probably she's probably the most boring Spice Girl. I said it. I said it. Hold it against me. <laughs> Fantastic. Um tell me about clubbing and i want to know for for track five the song that soundtracked it where, where was clubbing was it was it kind of neon clad you know house and, and 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 dance music venues was it you know sleazy indie clubs what was it where was clubbing is he yeah interesting question that clubbing for me is a short-lived career i would say mm-hmm. it was usually in brighton and 
it would be the clubbing that I would do in Brighton wasn't the necessarily the clubbing that I enjoyed, but it was a really big era where we would go to this place at the time it was called the font, but now it's a Weatherspoons, I think, or like something similar. And then Honey Club, it was called. My brother would l- sneak me in there underage using his friend Jenny's ID. And that was fun. But I I hated the music. I hated all of it. It was Clubbing was this thing like the whole time as a teenager. It was like, we're going to go clubbing and it's going to be the best thing ever. And then you'd like get to a club and be like, what the hell is this? This is sensory hell and the music sucks. Because it was always just like... It was kind of pop music, I guess. But the, the clubbing that I remember loving that really changed me was going to see Justice in, I think it was Oxford. And we snuck out to go and do it. Or we said that we were going to go somewhere near. And then we got a train to, a coach to Oxford and then went to justice and we were underage and i remember it just feeling so illegal the whole thing was really exciting and just like coming coming in and having like drank like a mixture of vodka that i'd poured out of my parents <laughs> liquor you know when you take a little bit yeah, of each yeah, like yeah. every little We've all done it. yeah like the classic like i was there i was really like tezzed up to the nines probably with all my eyeliner on thinking that i was like fresh like indie cindy han and um going to see justice and it being like this massive like cross just like and then being like feeling like oh i feel it now like i i understood the whole like electric electricity of everything and the sort of magic that that held it it shook up everything though i think you know People don't sort of reference Justice that much anymore, and, and I think the impact that they had on and, and you know the whole sort of Ed Banger scene like completely reshaped what was going on in in, in guitar music at that point because literally yeah. after then Justice were literally remixing everybody, and there was yeah. so much stuff coming out on Kitsune and Ed Banger that was just absolutely fantastic and different and fresh, and it was just kind of making indie music really danceable and it just kind yeah. of shook up the indie clubs as well I, I thought it was a really fantastic time i think justice were absolute trailblazers there as well yeah i think as well it gave gateway to like the the second wave of daft punk like in that thing for me was that daft punk i'd always known from the earlier stuff but then they kind of I sort of got back in, I got more into Daft Punk when I understood Justice and understanding like electronic yeah. rock music in that respect of like when, like learning that they sampled like Metallica to get their sounds. And I never heard what rock music sounded like as electronic mm. before. It was just something I've I'd never, ever heard any rock music like that. And it was just like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. Like so intense. And um, also like, in that sort of the time of it feeling kind of post skins or whatever, it it was that kind of feeling of there was, there was something like a bit rebellious about it, like a bit, so something really exciting. And I think also I do still hear it. I know you said it, we don't hear it as much or people don't reference it as much, but you know, there's a Dua Lipa track out recently that I thought, Oh, that's a, that's a Justice song. Or like I can, I can hear it in, way people sample or when when anyone does try to say anything sort of daft punk justice 
sounding i can hear it straight away and be like oh that's what they're referencing or like when rock bands do i'm sure like for production sounds and stuff people are doing a lot of like how do we get that kick sound or yeah. like how did they make that i think th- th- it's it's th- it, i guess we get a lot of producer artists now but maybe it's the first time we really saw like produced rock music yeah was really exciting Izzy, i'm going to ask you for track six um, to tell me uh, a favourite song from an artist from your home county, please. Um, so my home county artist is The Cure, and the song is Friday I'm In Love, um, because The Cure are from Crawley, which is my hometown, mm-hmm. and I have a, a very... I have... I relate to The Cure. There's like a meme of like Robert Smith online... Someone be like, "Oh, do you love Crawley? We came from." He's like, "No, it's shit. It's a shithole." <laughs> <laughs> and I like feel him like when I walk around Crawley, like I feel like Robert Smith is like in my bones. I'm like, "Hun, I've got you." Like it's like having a, a guide through this, feeling like the alien, feeling like a razor head in the in the space because you know in Crawley I get like egged in the street for like wearing my flares around <laughs> and like that TGI Fridays was the one that I worked in for like years. Yeah. And it was just like people people get like stabbed. People got stabbed outside. Like it was gnarly. Like all of our kitchen were like illegal immigrants. Um we had it's like it's a rough town. Like it's supposedly that they said that when there was like I know if there's a rumor but I heard once that there was like when the they built Crawley before obviously Gatwick Airport was a whole thing. It was like when the prisons in Croydon got like overfilled, they like moved them all to Crawley. So that's why we had such like a rough like crime problem and stuff there. Mm. Now it's obviously just like this middle class place because of its connections to London and Brighton and it's like got an airport and everyone works in the airport. But from like um the, to know that the cure made what they made and like also they they rehearsed in Brighton Electric as well, which is like where we rehearsed for years. Like having that, having just like a great artist and having a sort of semi like weird parallel universe experience as them. Um, it's a really nice feeling because it's, it's a shithole. It's a total shithole. And like, I would not recommend anyone visiting there. Was and it... also Ramesh Ranganathan's from there. Too, Ramesh is from there. He is. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. We uh, tweeted him when we got top 10. We were like, are we with the Crawley greats with Ramesh <laughs> and the Cure? And he retweeted it, which was cool. Tell me about, um, because, you know, wherever you grow up, I think, you know, you, you do gravitate towards the, the the bands from your area, you know, coming from Essex, we're, you know, we're, we're, we're born to love Depeche Mode. We're born to love the Prodigy. You know, they're our hometown heroes. Um, you know, at what point did you start to discover the the, the cure, and, and and what was the music of theirs that that kind of sort of pulled you in and towards them? To be honest, it was way later on. It was in Brighton times when I really discovered them because I knew that they were like this heritage artist, and there was something that existed in the background. But I never really, I think it was more like when I started listening to like Jesus and Mary Chain, maybe in like that section of the eighties, where I. I then suddenly started to like thread together all of this other sort of stuff that the cure kind of comes back into the dialogue and how it's really interesting that they like, they kind of traversed pop music with all of the things that were happening at the time. And then there was this kid in Brighton that like knew them and they were kind of around 
like because they were rehearsing in the studio obviously so then I'd listen to them more because of that and then was like oh shit they're from Crawley and then suddenly I felt this kinship after this whole like long-winded circle of figuring them out if you know what I mean yeah for the last track I'm going to ask you to tell me a song that you think many people may not know that you would like them to hear please I can't remember what I wrote on this one. So let me just check. Oh, yeah. Okay, so this is Mizalu, the original version. Um, and I think it's really cool because I, I think this song's really important to me. And it was a really interesting discovery of... I love finding songs and finding like how many covers have happened through history and at what point you connect with what cover and then you can kind of like zone in on uh, historically the value of something so obviously this is the song that I probably first came around in the like Kill Bill era or like the Black Eyed Peas pump it louder pump it louder which is like such a such a um central point to how I my, my perspective on how I see like Black Honey and the world that I create and I find this song really interesting to then go okay so like Dick Dale and then like obviously like the Dick Dale version I, I realised really quickly was like the, the thing that inspired me the most the surf tones the way that it was done the way it had this like old ancient kind of scale thing in it that sounded like from another world and then you trace it back to this version and several others and you hear that it's actually been some sort of like backdrop to music for years and years and years in the same way that blues does you know some of the my favorite blues songs are like you know saint james infirmary or like i love so many different versions of that throughout history and i find that so um magical that we're at this in in the history of the universe, we're at such an early point in the development of m modern recording that it's going to be so wild to see, like, in hundreds and thousands of years, what does stand the test of time and what will be, like, Shakespeare of music? Will it be the Beatles or, like, will it be some other version of it? Or Well, Lizzie, we make it very easy for people to go and uh, listen to that uh, alongside all of the other tracks that you've picked today and obviously Black Honey's music as well because we put together a little Spotify playlist to accompany the pod that everyone can go and uh, listen to. Um, let's talk Black Honey. What's happening? So currently we are working towards our biggest headline dates to come. Um, so we're doing Brighton, Bristol... Leeds and London just on a short little run but they're bigger shows so we're doing like Kenji Town Forum and that's quite scary big <laughs> I guess for us but really exciting and we just came off tour at the end of last year with this band Greta Van Fleet that was awesome we did like some big arenas and stuff with them um and then yeah we we put a song out Lemonade recently then next up we've got like festivals coming through which will be announced soon and we're going to be getting back into working on some new stuff i think but taking a bit of a bit of a bit of a hole yeah. in this january and is if people want to kind of keep up to speed with with all of that um where's the best place to follow all things black honey um 
definitely Spotify. That will have like all the music and it will have all the upcoming dates and stuff, but also Instagram, social media. Okay. Well, if it's all right with you, um, when we release this episode, uh, we'll tag you in it. So anybody that's listening to this that has yet to discover your music, uh, we'll make it nice and easy for them to go and listen. Yeah, awesome. Fantastic. Izzy, thank you so much for coming on today, mate. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. No wicked. problem. I'm going to press stop. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. That was Izzy of Black Honey. Go check out Black Honey. Um, kind of a lovely little sort of throwback. If you've not heard their music before, uh, kind of I can hear the breeders in it. I can hear Hull. I can hear lots of kind of really cool, trashy 90s kind of uh, American guitar stuff. I can hear Pixies in it. Uh, all that good stuff. And uh, so go check them out. Go check out Lemonade. It's a fantastic single. Um, I'll put it on the uh, the playlist uh, that you can go and check out on Spotify. Why not go and support us on um, uh, Patreon? Head over to there, patreon.com forward slash off the beat and track. Show your love for this pod. It costs you 75 pence a month. What's that work out? 20p a week? Less than 20p a week. Uh, and it all goes in the pot to keep these uh, podcasts coming your way. I've got no sponsors, no backers, and uh, it was all just done for the love. So anything that goes back in the pot is fantastic. I think we're done. I'll see you next time. Thanks ever so much for listening. Love you lots. Bye-bye.